Well, folks, it's the holiday season here at Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, uh, we are discussing, um, again, like we did last year, we both picked the Christmas album to discuss. And uh, this one we're doing is uh, one Corey picked for us. Uh, Do you want to introduce this one? This one is uh, one of my favorite ones. One of my favorite ones from growing up. If you're a first-time listener, I'm a huge Christmas song head, period. I love Christmas music. I love being inside of it. I am one that believes it has no place until after Thanksgiving and ends at New Year's morning. But inside that, I am 24-7 running Christmas songs. Uh, And this one was a big one. This one came out of almost like left field. We, We were... We were a music house, period, but and we love all types of music growing up in my house. But this one, I don't know where it came from. Like, I don't remember an anticipation, but I remember it coming home, and it was, what, it was 93? 93. Yes. I, I was younger, you know, and I remember just, it was CD. I remember it was a CD, and I remember, like, nonstop playing through this one. It It hit me right away. And uh, it's it's one I'll never forget. It's one that I always cherish. I, there's, in my opinion, not getting too far ahead, Harry Connick really did exactly what we always talk about, even on the level of covers. But more so, it's, in my opinion, it's way harder to do inside of a Christmas album. To have a successful Christmas album with your own tracks, even like we were talking about on Share this year uh, with her Christmas album, it's a, it's a tough bid. And I think he did it so well in this album. And it just, it sang immediately to me. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's one that uh, certainly did it did well back in the day. It's now, um, I mean, there wasn't really a big, it, from what I've seen, there wasn't a huge lead up. It just kind of, Harry Connick was just kind of steadily recording and, oh, he's going to put out a Christmas album. But he was the kind of, Artist, I guess that was what they would want him to do, I guess, is kind of the vibe I'm getting from it all. Yeah, and not to compare or anything, but just to give a context, think about like a buble type of type of attraction that the world was like, all right, yeah, it, it feels right. Or a Frank, you know, Frank comes up for me a bunch in this one. So like a Sinatra type of draw of like, okay, let's see. It, it it makes sense. Let's see what he can do. Let's see. And he's the, in my opinion, the kind of artist that jumps at that. He's he's a very very genius minded musician. Um, and he surrounds himself with with these players too. It's that old school setting that I think runs true to and runs perfectly true to recording a Christmas album. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm not really an expert on. This artist, uh, I'm mostly familiar from seeing him on TV in more recent years. Um, but I, I do... I forgot he was on Will and Grace. <laughs> he was, yes. I heard, heard that. And interestingly, his CD sales did really well when he was on Will and Grace. <laughs> Even though he wasn't, like... I mean, he wasn't the highlight of the show or anything, but he, he was on it. Um. And I mean, I did see him also. He did judge on American Idol for a few seasons. In the last few they did on Fox, he was on it with J Lo and Keith Urban. Okay, there you go. And I I did see what I saw of him. He was a good judge. Um, I mean, I didn't enjoy. I didn't. Idol certainly wasn't as popular by the point he was on the show as it was in the in the Simon, Paul, and Randy days, but I have to say, in terms of actually giving contestants constructive feedback, he was much better at that than um, <laughs> Simon Cal and Paul Abdul. Yeah, that's wild. I never really even knew that he was on there, but while you were saying it, I was just having a little mini fantasy of him being a voice coach, because I always like how those coaches interact with with the the musicians with the singers and that would be cool i'm happy to hear that he he lent a uh, a good judging you know a constructive criticism judging that's cool yeah and he was definitely the most 
musically inclined of that panel. I mean, with his background and all of that. Who was it on the panel? It was him, J-Lo, and Keith Urban. Okay, yeah. I mean... (laughs) No shit talking. I mean, just... He definitely had more of a music... A traditional music upbringing than both of those artists. Yes! Especially more than J-Lo. No disrespect, but... That's that's a different skill set that (laughs) she has. Of course. Um... But yeah, so uh, I do understand, though, he was the hot young crooner of it. Like, he was the buble of this era, the young guy doing it, kind of, because, um, so I've never seen this movie, but I understand that he did all the music for the um beloved film When Harry Met Sally. Huh. Yeah, hey, I'm learning w- with you. I didn't realize that he did all the music for that, but I can. Yeah, he, the soundtrack is him. That's awesome. Um, but someone might come for me by saying I never saw when Harry met Sally. At least not, I I know the famous scene, but not the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not even amazed anymore. I understand how you go at movies, and and you only have a finite amount of time. And I'm not even mad at you anymore. There's some classics out there that you've missed, but I guess that can be for all of us, you know. <laughs> Is When Harry Met Sally the worst of them, though? That's the real No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) I mean, also, that was like a parent's movie when I was a kid, so that just isn't the first thing that appeals to you automatically, you know? (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, but yeah, he was going pretty steadily after that. Looks like his album sold pretty steadily up to this point, and um, he ended up having the best-selling holiday album of 1993 when this was released he went gold that year and um, at this point it's now gone triple platinum over three million copies in the u.s but oddly enough um this doesn't seem to have translated that well to the streaming era uh it's my it's my beef I, i i i have the same beef with the radio on this There are, in my opinion, and I've already stated how much I loved this album growing up, and it was an early one for me, but there's so many tracks on this album that I feel deserve to be the radio version of these songs, so to speak, you know, deserve to have their place as one of the radio versions, and they're not. It's it's wild. And yeah, it relates to the streaming too, you know? It's like, this is... I'm hoping to gain some traction for you, Harry, on this one because it's well-deserved not to get too far ahead, but there are songs on here that the world should know as Christmas songs. Staples. (laughs) And it is odd that you would think a more contemporary crooner, like, he's not as contemporary as Buble, perhaps, but certainly more contemporary than many others, but they still get more streams than him, which is, it's just not what you'd expect quite. It almost feels lost in time, or lost to time, um, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it seems like some 90s stuff, when it comes to Christmas music, some of it just, it's lost to that time, but it seems like Christmas albums were a dime a dozen in this era, but some of it's just there it's in that it stayed there and hasn't really translated that well yeah well if anybody listening hasn't hasn't listened to it yet now's the time start it up yeah. with us on this one because it's a it's a it's worth listening to yeah because i mean another big person i saw from the 90s who lots of christmas music not a ton of streams for it even though i still hear her on the radio amy grant heard not to tell the streams for her Christmas stuff at all, which is, it seems like it was really popular, still gets played on certain stations, but people aren't doing it. Lost to the streaming world. Yeah. and Oh, it could be a whole nother podcast, but that in in my opinion, this is part of the, uh, the oversaturation of Christmas, of the Christmas oh, season. It the is. The start and, and the end and... and... It really, well, what really bothers me is that we complain about, oh, we hear the same songs over and over again. But instead, let's just 
keep playing them on Spotify. <laughs> and some of it, I don't know why you would want to listen to it anymore, if at all. But <laughs> I'm sorry, we're gonna put we're gonna push this one into the algorithm. We're we're gonna try our best. I think at least some of the songs deserve <laughs> to be in the algorithm. That is uh, for sure. Uh, I might I might hurt your childhood heart here a bit. I I'm not quite as gaga about this as you. I'll tell you that now. I, I not ruining anything. I will tell you straight up. There I'm not a hundred percent on this album. Uh, and, I, you know, there were skippers back in my day and maybe some of them have changed, but well, not getting too far ahead. <laughs> I am I am nostalgic and I am excited to share that with everybody and, and, and you. But uh, there are parts of this album that aren't my favorite. OK, all right. <laughs> well, we'll see if they're the same parts, though. And uh <laughs> With that being said, I'm ready to dive right into this. Uh, When My Heart Finds Christmas, Harry Connick Jr. Let's do it. All right, so the album begins with Sleigh Ride, originally composed by Leroy Anderson and recorded by the Boston Pops. Um, This is one of two songs on this album inspired uh, by a heat wave was when he wrote the song. But lyrics were later added by a guy named Mitchell Parrish. It's interesting. Quite a few of these songs have instrumental first lyrics later. Um, Seems to be a bit of a Christmas trend. But uh, this is definitely a Christmas standard. It's been done countless times. But I will say now this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. Um, And uh, I mean, there's a version of it for everybody. It is one of those songs that's been done so many different ways that if you don't like one version, you can easily find one you like, I'm sure. Um, And uh, I really like this version. I think this song lends itself well to this big band arrangement. Um, You can definitely tell that Harry Connick is from New Orleans uh, in the arrangements of these songs, but I think also he just does a lot of cool stuff with the vocal melody of it that is just different than you will hear in other versions um and i think it's a great opener it's great to open it as a slower tune and it's an upbeat song but parts of it are slower parts of it are more upbeat but he really i think he makes it his own effectively and that's not an easy thing to do with a song as popular as sleigh ride but uh I really enjoy this version. Uh, is it my ultimate version? No, but I do like it a lot. Yeah, this one's up there for Sleigh Ride. The song is up there in my tops, uh, if not my favorite Christmas song. And I'm so glad you touched on the there is an underlying theme, I believe, inside of this album. And that is he chose a lot of the songs that he covers here that were composed strictly for for an orchestra or for piano or for just without lyrics originally. And it's really neat to see what he does with these. For instance, here in Sleigh Ride, you know, you, you've, you've heard the Boston Pops do it. You've heard the Ronettes do it. For me, they're my top two jammers there. Um, oh, the Ronettes version, uh, that's one radio hit like you can't get sick of i'm sorry i love that version most definitely but for those they're both in the classical sense of this not being swung eighth note jazz until that little third uh the final third almost this composition switches that on its head because we're on a jazz album and we come into it just swung out of its mind and then later on when in the original we get that jazz this one goes more to a it doesn't necessarily go to a four four time signature but it really comes off of the hard swung jazz which is neat and and it shows the thought process behind a lot of i'll start using the word genius here the lot of a lot of the genius of the compositions here they're really really thought out and they're really well done this also there are tiny little themes inside of here that we will see throughout the album 
and it speaks to that music mindedness of Harry Connick uh, as a composer that we were talking about before uh, when we were talking about, you know, him on American Idol and his musical mindedness. There's a really, really intricate composition throughout this album, and it starts here. Um, these laid back trills we get are are mimicked throughout the album. I, I have one beef with this, and that is that there's no horse sound from the trumpet, which is a huge, huge part of this song in its roots. And as much as I, I like 99% love this song, that's the one thing that it always gets me. Uh, and I'm like, come on, Harry, man, you had to have that in there. But that aside, what a great way to start a Christmas album. A lot of super awesome energy here um and and i love it i can't say enough about this one i love yeah. it it's not my favorite though i i have to go boston pops i'm an old player who's played it live before with a full orchestra and there's nothing quite like the amount of instruments that are overlaid and 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 singing at the same time through this composition so i gotta go with the original as my oh. fave of all time on this one I, and I, I go with the Rawdettes. That's the main radio version, but it's a classic for a reason. Heard that. Just those backing vocals alone in that. Oh. <laughs> Jing-a-ling-a-ling-a-ding-dong-ding. Ding. Yeah, that's that jam. It is. But uh, speaking of Harry Connick as a composer, he wrote a few songs for the album, originals, and uh, we're going to start with um, one of them. We have a few in a row here. And uh, track number two is the title track, When My Heart Finds Christmas. Um, it, it's a it's a ballad. Uh, it the the people who like this song love it. Uh, I wish I could say I do. Like I I obviously have listened to it several times in preparation for this, and I just can't get into it. It's very tuneless to me, kind of. And I feel what the impression I get from this is. He was really trying to write a modern Christmas classic. And it just feels too calculated to me. And uh, there's just a real disconnect with it. And I also think it's too slow for the second song on the album, especially right after Sleigh Ride. It is. It does. It takes a very slow turn after Sleigh Ride. And it's something that on these listens through, on these critical listens through i i had never noticed and i really took uh, uh almost offense to uh as as the subconscious listener but i i really enjoy the way this is put together there's a cinematic almost like a children's christmas special uh like opening here and he 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 starts crooning super super reminiscent of the chairman of of, of frank sinatra here for me and i dig that um this it crescendos correctly at three minutes we open the whole thing up and i i gotta say it's it's goosebump inducing um it almost has this timeless feel there where i can see where that calculation uh i can see where you're coming from on that calculated hit or that calculated move here but i for me it sticks the landing and i really think it's a very tight composition that he really really hits strong with his crooning on top of it's it's a neat one it's good to see i always enjoyed it and it's still good to see the originality behind it uh, um it just hits a little slow to the ears listening to it critically all right so we we at least agree on where it is at this point in the album <laughs> And it also starts, like you said, this block of his um, originals, which also looking at it critically is like, hmm, this is very interesting. I know that you've composed, or I think I know that you composed this album to have a flow and it has a good, it really does have a good flow throughout the whole album, but it's interesting that you put so many of your originals in the early part, in the first third of this album. Yeah, they're, they're not spread out at all, because right after this is another original. This is, it must have been Old Santa Claus. This is a more upbeat song. Obviously, he's definitely singing it from the perspective of a kid, but 
like a preteen kid. Honestly, I feel like this is kind of his. Uh, I definitely think this is inspired by uh, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Not entirely, but there's a part of it. Um, I do like it better than the previous song. I It's good to have a more up-tempo tune. I think it tells a good story. I can tell he's having fun. I do think that the song overstays its welcome, and I don't think it quite takes the big step from being good to being great. But I'll take it. I enjoy this song. I, I'm with you. Even in my notes, this is the yin to the yang of Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I can see where that inspiration is in here. Um, I love this narrative, and I love the way this narrative is composed because it's such a fun story, such a child, child, such a childlike fun story. And we see that mimicked in its composition. You know, we've got the band backing with this spoken yell call um, that automatically lends this playfulness to the recording that I love. It really nails the innocence and like this childlike playfulness uh, that I really believe that they set out to achieve with this song. I Musically, I love it because inside of this crescendoing narrative we also get a half well yeah we also get a half step change uh right up the scale in each piece here which adds to the anticipation of the story as it grows um nostalgia bomb hardcore on this one this is, this is one of my favorites from opening the cd i love this i really think it's done with so much care and as far as original christmas songs i think it stands on its own two feet it really sticks the landing here i like this one this maybe hot tea take hey hot tea first hot tea take of the, of the show today this one stands up there with like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer for me um but then again nostalgia bomb yes but uh if it must have been old Santa Claus reaches a, sta a classic standard. Does our next original song do it? Um, It's track four, The Blessed Dawn of Christmas Day. This is another original ballad. Um, This song must have like negative beats per minute because it is so slow and so drawn out. Even the vocals are so drawn out. Oh my god, especially at track four? You you can't be trying to put me to sleep this early, Harry. Come on, man. Oh, th this is... Yeah, um... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a lot of issues with the flow of this album already. I feel like we're just going too quick from up-tempo song, slow song, up-tempo, slow, and it's just a little, I don't know, For I mean, that's been done on other albums too, but this just isn't quite working for me so far, and I just, this song's boring. I just don't have much else to say about it, but I uh, guess it could be maybe a cure for insomnia. Maybe I'll listen to it while I'm trying to fall asleep. It's definitely a relaxing tune. This one has an old school air to it, almost hymn-like. Um, it's not my favorite at all. It was a skip for me when I was young. I do respect it on the critical sense for what it is as an original Christmas tune, knowing that he was trying to, or thinking that he was trying to do a hymn-like old school. I mean, we're talking back in the day Christmas albums um it's it's I've already said it's not my favorite it's it's just it's tough then we go to it is a very slow tune why here and it goes hand in hand with my question of why all of or most of your songs in this block here it almost feels like it was a worry of this 
slowing down the end of the album um, and where to put it. And this one has always been, when I was young, it was a skipper for me, um, but it's always, it doesn't necessarily feel like it has a super place here um, as far as the flow of the album. Well, well, it does have one place here, songwriting royalties. Yeah, well, there you go. That's, <laughs> That's... true, too. <laughs> but I mean... No, it, yeah. artistically, I agree yeah. with you. I just yeah. know why it's obviously. <laughs> you got them on there. But yeah, it's it's for me, it's really the only hardcore misstep as far as pacing goes throughout this album. Yeah, I mean, I'll say it now. This is the least favorite for me. No, no gun to my head on this one. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, now we're going to um, go again more up tempo with another standard let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Uh, written by Sammy Kahn and Jules Stein. Um, also written in a heat wave. Uh, I mean, I don't like this as much as Sleigh Ride, maybe because I've heard it more even. Uh, it's a very, it's a standard version of the song. I think it's finely arranged. I think the song's sung well. It's short and sweet. It's a, it's a good, um, song to have, I think, after the slower original, something upbeat and familiar, in this case, very familiar. Um, I mean, this is definitely, though, even more than Sleigh Ride, I think, really associated with the crooners of the past, uh, especially, because, I mean, the most known version of this is obviously Dean Martin's. Bing Crosby has a popular version that I, I heard on the radio like two days ago. I heard Bing Crosby doing it. So, yeah, it it wasn't the most imaginative choice, maybe, but also, why not do it? It's a kind of a proven winner for this kind of album, and it'll work. And uh, it's one of those things people like it, play it by the book, and uh, it works. It does. It is a familiar tune, and I love it in that sense automatically. But for me, musically... The composition here is is one of my favorites on the album because it starts off with this simple fan brush on a snare. So we automatically think jazz. Uh, and then we get this chromatic descent uh, to mimic the snowfall very quickly. And then, boom, a full horn blast to let us know we're back on this Harry Connick Jr. album. For me, that intro is perfect. Um, it This tune stays pretty true to the original as far as the composition goes and then we get this big band jazz bridge where the orchestra strings contrast with these really super beautiful phrases right until they both collide and we get this hybrid of the composition for the second verse that for me is why i dig this one so much um there's a lot of intricacy inside of this composition and i I, I enjoy it. I really love the way this one is with the full band. Really well done. Yes, yes. And, uh, well, that band is going to be put to some big use on the next song. Uh, the Little Drummer Boy, the second time we've discussed this song, because we did last year when we did the Jackson 5 Christmas album. This song was included on that. This this was a hot tea take one for us last time. Let's see uh, how yeah, we go. Yeah, here. We, we were definitely uh, not on the same page. Um, you were not a fan of that version of it. I loved it. Um, yep. and I'm thinking we might have the opposite thing this year. Um, <laughs> I don't hate this by any means, but uh, I I mean I think it's very well arranged and all of that. Um. But overall, I just find this to be a little plodding. I don't know. Just something about it for me just kind of is a bit too drawn out. And one thing he does, I mean, he's not the showiest singer out of them all, even, even though he could be. He's not. He lets the band do a lot of the heavy lifting on some of these songs. And I think that can be a good thing. But at the same time, I feel like it's just kind of an uneven performance. And I think this is one of a few songs here where I'm really getting that. Uh, it, it's just too 
it doesn't seem like everybody's fully on the same page. Like, I feel like I'd like this a lot better if they were doing it live, I'm sure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And it's kind of an odd song after Let It Snow, I think, too. I think it's a weird place for it. I don't hate it. It's a lovely song. It's not massacred or anything. It's well done. Just something about it's not clicking for me. No, and it speaks true to your original um, opinion as far as going back to when we were talking about the Jackson 5. And, and the things that you liked about that one are not really here. Uh, this is a very... <sighs> It's a very true cover in the sense of the time uh, as far as the tempo goes and, and as far as the way it takes itself. Um, it never rushes, but it never falters. This one does what I, if you remember, my beef with the, the Jackson 5 one was that it didn't take the natural crescendo inside of the story and use it to its full potential. For me, in this one, I love the composition here for so many reasons, one of them being that. The attention to the original inside of that, but the ability of this composition to feature instruments as characters, almost in, well, in the narrative, but almost like a Peter and the Wolf type of, of way, I really enjoy that you are a hundred percent correct when you say he lets the band do the heavy lifting here. That might be the tiny downfall for me here is I don't feel like he sticks the final landing vocally the way that I want him to. And I'm a bit nitpicking on that, but the way that the composition and arrangement carries through this beautiful crescendo throughout the narrative i really love it's just his crooning unfortunately at the end of this just doesn't stick the landing it falls a tad flat delivering that final payoff for me i do enjoy this one i like it it's still not my favorite um you know stevie wonder still holds one of my favorites uh as far as the little drummer boy goes it's it's one of one of my favorites um, just the way it's handled. Long story short, though, this one, I I feel like it sits perfectly inside of the flow of this album. I got to disagree with you there. Um, one, it's a good one. I, I I enjoy this one. Yeah, actually, one new ver. It's a newer version of the song that I really like. I'm not the biggest christian rock listener but i have to say the band for king and country they're one of the big bands in that scene i actually think they do a very nice version of little drummer boy i have to check that one out yeah it's not <laughs> yeah so they did that. my mom shared it with me before and i thought actually this is pretty pretty cool actually but uh if, if you think little drummer boy was religious oh boy we're gonna get real catholic on you now um with Ave Maria, this is Latin for Hail Mary. Of this version was composed by Franz Schubert and Sir Walter Scott. Um, yeah, uh, this is a beautiful composition. I don't care how religious you are, whether you follow this faith or not. I don't know how you can't be moved by this song. Um, like if if you do, I. I who are you? Are you a robot? Cause this is it's just one of those songs. Um again, I do think it's oddly placed right in the middle of the album. I don't love that. And uh I think the intro could have been shortened by like a minute. This is a really long intro. Uh, it sounds fine. It's very well played, professionally done, but it it does take me out of it, and I'm kind of like, what? Is this just an instrumental piece, or are we gonna actually sing Ave Maria? Um, he sings the song beautifully. Uh, I think he really just enunciates all of it very well. Um, this is one of a couple songs here. I feel like he's kind of acting the song almost more than singing it, but he's playing the part really well. I think this is a good version that just goes on for a bit too long. 
Yeah, I'm 100% with you as far as the lead up to it. It is a it is a bit long to the point and and I laugh because I had the same thought listening to it critically. Um I had to think like wait a minute, does he sing Ave Maria on this album or is it just <laughs> is it just a, a straight up instrumental piece because it does go on just a tad too long uh in my opinion as well. As far as it taken away from the flow, maybe it's the old schooler in me. It feels like it fits perfectly in the middle of this, almost like in the middle of a mass. I'm going to sound like an old man here. Uh, There's nostalgia bombs inside of this. Like I loved learning this in Latin when I was young to like sing it in Latin. And I always have a soft spot in my heart when I hear it sung in Latin, like well done. He does a great job. Um, It is... Literally, my notes for this is Ave Maria <laughs> because yeah. it is just a beautiful Ave Maria. There's not anything composition wise that's mind blowing to me. In fact, like we stated, it's a little bit too composed, over composed as far as the length of the of the intro. But it's it's a cool Ave Maria. It sits in the seven spot. So for me. I love the seven spot and this one that's almost the perfect halfway of this album. So I think it it, it hits the mark there for me. Honestly, I think part of my thing might be this is just not it's such a mass song. Yeah, that I can't think of it on a Christmas album. It's just it's a big change because none of the Christmas albums that I I can't think of one that I own even that has this song on it. Yeah, this is a in my opinion, this is another callback to like the old schoolness that I feel like he was looking for on Blessed Dawn of a Christmas Day, but didn't necessarily hit 100% where this one is a guaranteed, I, you go back to some older Christmas albums, this might be the middle track for almost every one of them. You know what I'm, I'm saying? I'm sure it is. Everybody puts an Ave Maria on there. And I think... For this one, rather than being contrived, it was more of a payoff or more of a paying homage to the the old schoolness of what he was trying to do here. I mean, Elvis didn't do it. I don't know much about 50s Christmas <laughs> albums beyond should, that, but Elvis didn't do it. He should have. That would have been should have. It would have been, been amazing. Fun. That would have been cool to hear Elvis do Ave Maria. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But... uh. Being at the halfway point, I think this is a good time to remind all of you listening that if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and leave us a nice rating and review. It would be much appreciated, especially going into 2024 when we've just got so much more planned for you. We are not even close to being done. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, and also follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast. We... You'll get all our updates and hear what we're doing next on the show, which I know you're all dying to hear about. So, um, yeah, please do that. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, with that being said, I'm ready to get back into the album. Yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, track eight is, um, this is definitely an unusual choice for a Christmas album. This is Parade of the Wooden Soldiers. This was written in as an instrumental piece by Leon Jessel in 1897. And the lyrics by Ballard McDonald came in 1922. Um uh, the this song was included on the legendary A Christmas Gift from for you from Phil Spector. Um the Crystals recorded it. So that's a pretty notable usage of the song but it's definitely not the first thing you think of when you think christmas songs but i like that we did that i think it's good that we have a not as common choice in addition to originals obviously but i yeah it's good to have something unexpected and i think this one definitely it's got a lot of kid appeal this one um but it's a it's a neat little song. It's got really cool percussion. I definitely think he's acting the song kind of more than he's singing it, but that lends itself well to this kind of song. Um, I mean, like it's like a nutcracker kind of thing. Like it just it lends itself well to that. And I can definitely see 
like why he pursued acting in the first place. Like I only saw him act on uh, Will and Grace, but I understand he's done some films as well. But I can definitely hear it even here. And this was a good decade before he was on a sitcom. Yeah, this is really, in my opinion, a theatrical showcase. And they do it so well. I, it's such a great showing from just his whole band and himself as far as jumping in and fully embracing this composition. This, ar- this arrangement of this composition is phenomenal as well. It paints a vivid picture of of this toy shop and the craziness ensuing uh, almost to calamity and, and finishing off with the final notes of a wind up. Um, I always think of the dancing ballerina. You said it perfectly with the nutcracker mindset, but ends off with this music box instrumental on the way out. Uh, one of my favorites of all time, such a classic, classic piece. Um, this one is up there, man. This one, hot tea take. This is my favorite version of this. Um, and you know, growing up inside of music, you've seen it, you've played it, uh, in your Christmas pageants and, and things like that. But this one is, is really the full embodiment of, in my opinion, what this composition was was made to feel like this is really really well done this is one of the ones that i have a beef with the world or not even a beef i i'm now pleading to the world share this share this with everybody because it is the embodiment of of a christmas tune in in my opinion this one i would love to hear on the radio more so everybody could get it so share share away on this one well worth it yeah, I, I actually personally petition, please put this on your playlist instead of anything by Andy Williams, because uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It just makes me want to smash the radio. Not related to this album. I just really felt like I had to say it. <laughs> so yeah, pop, pop this one in the playlist and, and enjoy. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah. That. Forget my rage. Listen to Parade of the Wooden Soldiers. Um, but uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to get religious again with our next track, which is What Child Is This? Uh, the lyrics were by William Chatterton Dix, and he said it to the tune of the English folk song Greensleeves. I love this backstory. William Chatterton Dix was an insurance company manager turned him writer. Yeah, he, he became a hymn writer after becoming spiritual during a really hard time in his life. I love stories like that when just, yeah, the insurance guy became a songwriter. I just, I love that. Um, uh, as for this uh, version of the song, um, I think the orchestra here is lovely, but this is another case where Harry lets the band really do the heavy lifting. He's just crooning and... and being too laid back with it all. And uh, it, it's just a bit of an uneven listen for me because of that. This is a, it hurts um, this song the most of all, actually, I think, um, out of everything. So just not my favorite. Yeah, just not my favorite. Love the backstory of it, though. Yeah, this one is, this is this is the, uh, the double-edged short here. This is the, the risk of when you do it, even though I wholeheartedly believe, and I really love what the band's doing here, but I'm with you on this one. I wholeheartedly believe that his heart was in it, but the band is doing too much of the heavy lifting, so to speak. And unfortunately, this one calls for such a strong, super powerful vocal presence and with a laid back croon on this, like even if you listen to some of the other crooners do this or Frankie do this or regardless, there is a almost church like presence that has to be hit here, in my opinion, for this song to be there. I love the way that you say that it was an uneven listen, because I really feel like that's the perfect summation of, of what I'm trying to say here. It just isn't balanced out and it 
I wish he would have hit it harder because this one I, I believe could have been there for him. I don't know if it's in his chops to be able to hit that. Um, but this one, yeah, it fell flat, unfortunately. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Frankie. He's been mentioned a couple times today. And that, uh, well, his influence is most prom- prevalent on the next song because it's a cover of a Sinatra tune, Christmas Dreaming. Uh, this He recorded it in 1947. It was written by Irving Gordon and Lester Lee. Irving Gordon wrote a ton of songs for singers such as Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, Perry Como. So definitely a go-to guy for the crooners. Um, uh, but uh, th- this wasn't one of the big hits. I can kind of see why. Like, I think it's a nice light song. It's pretty short. Um, when it comes to, I mean, it's pleasant enough, but I don't think it, again, is takes that step from being cute to something really substantial. And as for this particular version, I find the choral vocals here to just be kind of overdone. And again, overpowering our vocalist, who, based on what I was hearing earlier in the album, I think can go to that place. He's just not. And I I, I think it's a choice, but it's not a choice that I love. Yeah, for this, for me, even listening back to it critically, it's a really cool little jam. But this one, I'll I'll go ahead and use the word we use every once in a while. This is like a palate cleanser almost. And for me... I wholeheartedly believe that this is just here because it was an easy one to do. And I, I, I mean no disrespect, but to be the thing that is going to just quickly bring us back into the jazz mindset of this album. And really, and this is the victory for this song for me, bring the album around for the finish. It's an it's a neat catapult back into the jazz mindedness and to to push the album into its final third. Yes, and I do think it works in terms of that. Yeah. I will I will agree with you on that even if it's not my favorite song here by a long shot. Yes, but it's interesting that we mentioned coming back to the jazz because we're going to get full on New Orleans jazz with our next song which is the last original comic composition here i pray on christmas um th- i'll say it now best original tune here easily for me uh just sends a message to those struggling at the holidays like i i pray on christmas for everybody and um i love it this is just that full-on new orleans sound i love the pianos it just gives me like classic soul vibes and uh, yeah, I just really enjoy it. I don't have, I, I just recommend that you listen to it and you'll hear what I'm talking about. Yeah, this one is Claps and Piano and it's one of my favorites on the whole entire jam. It's such a super fun band song. You can feel that old vibe and it it, it just sings. There's no way for me that I turn this one on and don't automatically start dancing around and having a good time. It's, it's a neat song. It is, I can't say it's my favorite original, but it's an awesome original on here. But I, I got, I got a special place in my heart for must've been old Santa. Uh, So that's fair, but this one jams, man. And we're going into the last third of the album and we're going and we're starting to say goodbye to this album. And this one was the perfect way, uh, in my opinion, to to start this off with having some good old fun with the band. Um, not it, it almost it sings so well to me because it almost feels like it doesn't take itself too seriously when I know it does. But that is such a great thing to have inside of a, especially an original Christmas song. Most definitely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But uh, speaking of nostalgia, 
we're gonna go full nostalgia now. Um, get lot of lot of kid um elements to this album actually. Yeah. Uh, but most overtly on track twelve, which is Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Johnny Mark's composition. We all know it. Um. Uh, but this one, I do think, goes that extra step by actually including the voices of children in there. He engages the kids in the intro, like, hey, kids, you know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. It's so immediately that engagement. But I think this song lends itself well to the big band sound and having the kids in it just makes it feel more authentic. So this is a really fun uh, tune to listen to here um i dig this version of the song yeah man the kids the kids in here really make it for me and i've always loved that uh even being a kid when i first listened to it it was just one of my favorite parts this if we're looking at the whole album as the christmas season and we're working our way till christmas this almost sings to me like christmas morning of the album uh, you got the kids having a blast. We're doing Rudolph, which everybody knows. And it's they're still doing it their own way uh, in this big band setting, in this in this jazz setting. And it really, really sings, man. There's also a lot of composition Easter eggs here that are callbacks to the rest of the album, which I love. And it's almost and I it might sound like i'm reaching but if you really dive in here this is almost like the end of uh like a broadway musical where all of the pieces from different songs are coming up and and summing up the album uh inside of a composition and that's this one here uh for me it 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 does a lot of genius musical moves here um under the radar inside of this timeless christmas classic and it kills it on top of that so they they did a good job, you know. I Rudolph is a tough one. It's another one of those ones where you take it on and it can falter, but not in this case. No, not at all. Um, but uh, speaking of Christmas standards, we've got another one out because we're not at the end of the album. Uh, even if that could have been the end of a Broadway musical, we've got a couple more to go. Um, and next up is Oh Holy Night, written by Adolf Adam in 1847, based on a Poem by Placide Capo. Uh, I think this is the best um, song about the birth of Jesus. I'll say that now. I love me some Oh Holy Night. Uh, this is not my favorite version of it, though. And the big issue is, again, this really long intro. Kind of like Ave Maria, but it's a bit more detrimental here because this is almost seven minutes long. And we're at the end of the album. We've really... I just don't need it, and it isn't musically interesting enough to justify that length. Um, It's not the shortest song ever. A lot of the best versions of it are like, the best version of it's like five minutes long. But uh, I just, and it just takes, the big issue is he sings it well and all, but it takes me out of the album by going on for so long. Like, I'm just really ready to move on by this point. Like, it just, it's too much. Now, I will say, I, I've been super fanboying on on all the musicality of this album. This one is a very, very big shot as far as it really, really sets off on this mission to almost over... <sighs> It really sets off on this mission to almost over compose this song. And there are times, even for me inside of this, like when you get into this violin solo and then we totally are off the actual key of the song and we're doing these cinematic things that aren't necessarily all aiding the composition. It really ends up being a bit too long and i say that with as much respect as i can it does have a cinematic air to it and i can see where the thought process was here but it, it's just a little bit too much now that being said i am also a fan of a holy night so i will give this merit on being the penultimate track here i think it was a good choice to have oh holy night here 
it's just uh it's it's a bit too overdone you know it it has these awesome qualities on paper and and you know, you know what i'm saying like maybe if you're a super fan of the orchestra style of it it's tough man i'm trying to silver lining playbook it when unfortunately it's just a tad too long and over composed yeah yeah i can't believe i just said that i really can't <laughs> but i'm being honest so there it is you know? and it's it's fine there are many of our oh holy nights out there <laughs> um this just is not the one i would go to uh but um it is not it doesn't end the album on a sour note though because we do have one more song to go and that is what are you doing new year's eve so this is a song from 1947 written by frank lesser one of the tin pan alley songwriters of that era in New York, just a factory of songwriters. Also had like Rodgers and Hammerstein, Irving Berlin, all those kind of guys. Um, he wrote over 700 songs in his lifetime, actually. Uh, Christmas-wise, his most well-known is Baby It's Cold Outside. Um, well-known and controversial song, but uh, so the thing is, this was really not intended as a holiday song. Actually, um, his daughter, Susan Lesser, said that her father hated that people sang it in December because the song was really written about somebody making a really hasty, far-off commitment. Like, what are you doing New Year's Eve? And they're asking that, like, months or even years in advance. Like, it's not really... It was not intended as a Christmas or holiday song. But... It's become one. It's been on quite a few holiday albums, but I am glad that I learned this because, again, to me, this just isn't a Christmas song. It's a fine song, but it's not a Christmas song. And again, it just takes me out of the album. It, he sings it well and all, but I don't, it doesn't work for me in this context. It just doesn't. Yeah, I see I'm on the other side here because I feel like even though and knowing the the background but even though it had it wasn't necessarily meant to be it has become and I think in this instance for me and it, it it gives a cozy feeling of closure to the album um with with the new year reference I like this as the ender. I think it was a neat way to end the album. Uh, musically, everybody gets a feature here, and I really love that. And and it sticks, it, it sticks its landing pretty pristinely, in my opinion, too. Um, I feel like the debate of whether or not it's a Christmas song, you know, has both sides there. We could do, you know, we do the same thing with Die Hard as a movie, and I'm not even going to say if if I believe it is or not. But it is. For, but for this for this album, I think it's a really neat, cozy way to finish up. And and he does a great job singing this song, too. So I enjoy the way this ends. Yeah, I think it's a bit too, you say cozy, I think it's too sedate to end the album. Oh, no, it's it's the perfect wrap up. No, <laughs> nope, that's my hot tea take bag closer. Heard that. Uh, well, well, I had a spew. I don't know how hot they are, though. I don't know everyone's opinion on the album. Uh, so we go uh, find out. <laughs> yeah, we we will find out. Hopefully, we will. Um, yeah, we have come to the end of our jazz Christmas journey. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Wow, what what a what a ride! What a ride! It was a good one. It was a good one. I I. I listen to this at least a hundred times every Christmas. So it's definitely one that was a neat one for me to go at critically. And I learned some new things about the album. So it was a cool, it was a cool adventure. Yeah. But uh, what, what's the grade? Oh, when my heart finds Christmas, what will I grade you? This is a very, very well done Christmas album with the amount of originals on there it it's a huge undertaking period they don't all stick the landing unfortunately and there is like i said there's one huge glaring 
um, spot in the pacing that is tough from a critical standpoint. That being said, they really took some awesome musical looks and gave us these perspectives on these tried and true Christmas classics. And for me, for the most part, they all hit and have been elevated. And I really enjoy that. There are there are some classics here that I think could, and I've said, but should go on uh, and, and live as staples. Um, but as far as this album goes, I'm going to give it a B. Uh, as far as Christmas albums goes, critically, I'm going to give it a B. Uh, if I have to go back to 93, I'm giving it an A plus plus. Young <laughs> young me love this one, but yeah, critically, it's 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 a B. There's high notes and lows that that average rate out there. We've done quite a few albums from 1993, actually. I just realized that we've done several. <laughs> Not quite like this one, but more so along the grunge side of things, but <laughs> got a few. Um, uh, as for me for this album, um, there are songs here that I enjoy. There's some stuff that doesn't work for me. Uh, the biggest thing, though, there are there's a lot of stuff that it's missing the step from being decent and or good to really going to the great level for me, or the must-hear-this-every-year level. Um, there's just a lack of pizzazz here in some respects for me. Uh, and maybe some of that's intentional. I don't know. Um, but uh, for me, I'm going to have to give this one a C. I can totally see where you're coming from, especially critically listening to it. It uh, yeah, Wipe away the nostalgia, and there are some laid-back moments in this album. Yeah, I, the pacing really... I mean, it's not even the most different for every Christmas album now that I'm really thinking about it, but here it doesn't work for me. Heard. Where elsewhere it might, but uh, well, we'll discuss that later, I guess. Um, you, you have a favorite on this one? Sleigh Ride. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I, I've been I've been talking about it the whole time, but must have been old Santa Claus is oh, the yeah. of course. It's my favorite on this I mean, jam. I, I uh, did see Harry posted a couple videos of him singing that one to his Instagram. Oh yeah, there there was a I don't know if it ever was recorded, but I'm pretty sure he did this album on TV. I remember watching. It, it, it does look like he did, and it looks like a VHS was released of it too. Oh, there you go. That, but, that's, um, that's a cool one if if it's out there on the YouTube and whatnot. I, <laughs> The video he posted of one of them, it definitely looked like it was from this era. He looked, um, I mean, he's aged very well, <laughs> but uh, it definitely looked like him on, like the video, it definitely looked like this era, like very reminiscent of him on that album, on this album cover, same haircut and face and all that. Yeah, I, I didn't even I think about saying it, but when I first saw Polar Express, I it reminded me of this, like, must have been old Santa reminded me of Polar Express, oh. that kind of beautiful, I still believe narrative, which I still yeah. believe, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, if anything can make you believe, it, it, it's the, it's good Christmas music and the Polar Express. There you go, there you go. Yeah. The Polar Express is a great Christmas movie. I, I know it's pretty polarizing, actually, but that's my hot tea take. The Polar <laughs> Express rocks. Heard that. Well, speaking of great Christmas music, what are we up for next week? It's your pick. What do we got? Yes, it is. Um, I'm very excited about this. So I'm going to do uh, one again. This is uh, one from my parents' CD collection. Uh, it was released a bit before I was born, but I would say I grew up with it. Based on the fact that they owned it and, well, its songs have, haven't have really left us. Uh, you, you turn on the radio, you hear several of these every year frequently. Um, different areas might be there. I know in Baltimore, we definitely hear quite a bit of it. And uh, But the main reason I'm picking it, I could have gone with something new that I wasn't really familiar with, like I did last year. I wasn't as familiar with that Elvis work, but... Um, I'm actually going to her Christmas concert because uh, she's coming to Baltimore on her Christmas tour. And I'm really excited to be seeing the one and only Mariah Carey. 
So in celebration of that, we will be doing her 1994 album, Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Little Mariah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Queen of Christmas, as many call her. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to do, um, to do this one. It's a really fun Christmas album. And I'm thinking about it. It does have some similarities to this, but uh, also some differences. Um, so we'll we'll see how it how it stacks up. I don't think I've ever listened to the whole album all the way through. Oh, so I, I think that. you are in for a treat because I know you told me before you weren't the biggest Mariah fan. Not the biggest Mariah fan, but you know me and Christmas. So yeah, I I, <laughs> I think you will at least come away with um some new appreciation uh for her at least when it comes to doing Christmas songs because it's not just the song everybody knows. There is more to it here. Um, if if there wasn't, I wouldn't be covering it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but uh, yeah, super excited about that. And um, and then after that, we'll have our year end album. Uh, that's all always right. fun too. Yeah, man. Yeah, but yes. In the meantime, just stay tuned. And of course, I have to say, all I want for Christmas is for all of you to tune in next week. So, <laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all, and take care of yourselves until we are back at it with me and Mariah going back like babies and pacifiers. <laughs> Peace!